All right, preach the word from 1 Kings 19. If you would like to turn in your Bible, 1 Kings 19, grace and peace. I've been thinking this week that we need those words more than ever before. I guess that hit me so hard last Sunday night, as it did all of us, what happened in Las Vegas. And I thought, God, help these words, grace and peace, be more than words. Help them to be truths in our life. Help them to flow out into our community and throughout this world. So in a few minutes, I want to pray for uh, that situation in Las Vegas, the tragedy that happened. And I don't know how to pray for that. So I'm going to tell you in advance what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray Psalm chapter 10. I'm just going to choose some things from there to pray. Because that's why God gave us the Psalms, to pray them. That's what they're for. And so I'm going to do that today in a few minutes. I want to ask for your prayers this week. Once a year, the elders uh, allow me to go, and some people say they allow me to go on vacation and I, I do get vacation time here, and I'm thankful for that. But this time this week is not vacation. I'm going to be leaving this week to go work, and I'm going to go away from here. I'm going to go, well, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going, because I don't want anybody to know, because I'm getting away from all you people. I'm going to go take the Bible, and I'm going to go take some things that God has put on my heart to study. Uh, I'm going to go spend time praying about our church family and for you and about the future. And I'm going to ask God to help me make decisions about what we're going to be preaching in the next calendar year. And so the things that we're going through right now in Elijah are things that God led me to last October. And I'm praying that he'll do that again this week. And I would really appreciate you guys' prayers. Please pray for me this week and ask God to speak to me this week about our church family. So I won't be here next Sunday, but you guys are in for an awesome treat. Paul Wetzel is going to be preaching, a, starting a brand new series for us next week, and the series is called Relentless. And if you want to find out what that's about, then come here, Paul, next week, and you will not be disappointed. It's going to be awesome. So that's going on, uh, that's going on this week in, in our life here at Gateway. Man, I just want to say thanks for that song, Brian. Here's my heart, God. And I'm just grateful to be in a church where that is what we look at in each other. That we look at each other's hearts. Uh, a lot of you may not have grown up in a church like I did, but I grew up in a church where people looked at our outward stuff. They looked at the way people dressed. They looked at people's behaviors. Uh, I can remember a couple of things when I was a teenager that had a huge impact on me. It had a big, I mean, they, they, they affected me greatly. And I was trying. I, I wasn't doing it perfectly. I mean, I, I, <laughs> let's not get into how imperfectly I was doing it. But I was trying hard as a teenager to follow Christ. I loved Jesus. And I wanted to follow him. And I was coming to church. My parents didn't even go to church all the time. I would go to church when they weren't even going to church. And I remember a Sunday when one of the ministers of the church came up to me after I had gone up and was nervous. My heart was pounding like this. And I've said a prayer, you know, for church on Sunday morning. And he came up to me right afterwards and he said, 
John Duncan, you want me to help you learn to tuck your shirt in? <laughs> I'm thankful we're not at a church like that. I'm thankful we're at a church where we're, we look at each other's hearts. We look at what God looks at, at the inward, not the outward. There was another time at that church that we had a vacation Bible school. And this was when I was a teenager during the same time. I had a vacation Bible school. And so all the little kids, of course, you know, came. And then we had an open house the last night. And all the kids get up. And you guys know how this thing goes. You know, the kids get up and they do their little song. Jesus loves me, whatever. They do their little thing. And when they got done, these little bitty kids, they're finished. The, the people in the audience clapped. They were like, yay, that was good. Way to go. Good job. You know, they're, they're proud. That's, their, that's my kids up there. All right, way to go. And... Our minister got up and, with, and he said, we don't clap here. Let's have a hearty amen. That's all we do here. Well, he's got a lot of visitors from the community that have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, they, they just are, I think they were just like, I don't know who that guy was. And so the next group of kids got up and they did their thing. And you know what? They all clapped again. <laughs> and the minister came back up with a red face and he said, there will be no clapping in this building. Those things impacted me greatly as a teenager. And I think a lot of my friends, they impacted and they left. They discouraged the next generation so much by saying it will be this way. It will be the way that I want it to be. And we're talking today about passing on to the next generation, handing the torch off to the next generation. How do we do that? How do we do that? We're in this series. We're in this series that is uh, called Peaks and Valleys. It's about the life of Elijah. And we're finishing it today by talking about Elijah and Elisha, the person he passes the torch on to the next generation. And We've seen in Elijah's life that he has peaks and he has valleys. He has highs and he has lows. And so here's a test. It's a, it's, it's not a, this is not a, hype, what's that called? A hypothetical question? This is not, these are not questions for you just to watch. These are participation questions. So are you guys ready? You guys ready to participate? You're going to participate by saying peak or valley. All right? You get to say whichever one you want. All right? So which one? You respond by saying peak or you say valley. So here's the experiences in life. You pass your classes and you graduate. All right, peak. I, for me, that's a peak, all right? Here's the next one. You're selected for an IRS audit. <laughs> valley. I saw a couple of people start crying. You've actually, it's happened to you actually, so. You and your spouse have a healthy baby. Ooh, yeah, peak. Thank you, Lord, for new babies. You wreck your new car. Ooh, valley. You get the winning lottery ticket. Yeah, no, I don't know. I was kind of like, I don't know, peak or valley? It seems like everybody's life gets ruined that wins the lottery. So uh, every time I buy a lottery ticket, I pray that God won't let me win, and he never does. So it works out just right. So here's, here's one more. You breathe your last breath and you die. 
Thoughtful one, isn't it? Psalm 23 says it's a valley that Aaron and Russ read, read for us today from Psalm 23. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And yet, as many of you answered, because it's the confidence we have inside of us, it's a peak. I will fear no evil in the valley of the shadow of death because you are with me. It's a peak. It's going to be the day that we've been living for to see Jesus face to face. So let's pray today. And we'll pray for another gathering, another congregation in our village here uh, called Trinity in uh, Capitan. We'll pray for them today. And also I'll be praying for the, the people, uh, the things that happened in Las Vegas. Let's bow and let's pray before we study. Lord God, thank you for this church family. Thank you, God, that we keep our, that we keep our hearts as uh, the important thing and we look at each other's hearts. God, I'm grateful to be in a church family like that. I just, just pray you would protect that always, God. I thank you for all these, these kiddos that ran to class. I pray that while they're there, that they would be learning uh, about Jesus and how awesome and great he is and how forgiving he is as they study about the unmerciful servant this, week, this month. I thank you for, as Jay said, uh, the young, new families. For ten, for 10 families last night at our new members' dinner, 10 new families, all gifts from you, God, every one of them. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here at Gateway. And I thank you for uh, the older generation, God, that's getting to be me. I'm, I'm thankful for us, the older generation. I thank you for what we still have to offer. I thank you, God, for uh, the, the example that I've seen of years of faithful love and service to the kingdom of God for the name of Jesus Christ, uh, for uh, people to grow closer and closer to Jesus. I thank you, God, for that. Help us to learn today how do we pass that on to the next generation. And Lord, I want to pray for Justin and Danielle at the Trinity Congregation over in, over in Capitan. I thank you for... Uh, just thank you so much for Justin's faithfulness to study your word so hard. Thank you for his love for Jesus and the gospel. Thank you that he puts it to work by, uh, by showing up to help the Green family load their truck on Thursday. Not even members of his congregation. And yet here he shows up and he and his family and his little boys help. Thank you for such a heart, God. And today, I pray that his preaching would be powerful. I pray that people's hearts would be turned to you, that people who are blind would be able to see, that people who are dead would come alive, that people, you would draw their hearts to him, through, to you through his words, God. Thank you for Justin and Daniel. Bless their family. We pray for Hunter and Hudson, and we ask that you would protect them and watch over them. Just so grateful 
for these partners in the gospel that I get to work shoulder to shoulder right beside. And God, as we think about our country and we think about what happened last Sunday night, I have to be honest and say, why, God, did that happen? Why sometimes do you seem to be so far away? Why does it seem that you seem to not, that you seem to be hiding in times of trouble? We don't understand always your ways and where you are, God. But we do know this. We know that wicked men hunt down the weak who are caught in their schemes and their devices. We know that wicked people boast. Wicked people insult the Lord. Wicked people are prideful. Wicked people have no room for you. Wicked people reject your laws. Wicked people, God, we know they lie in wait near the villages to ambush and murder the innocent. We know that their eyes watch in secret for victims, that like a lion, they wait in cover. They wait to catch the helpless. We know wicked people, God, say to themselves, God will never notice what I'm doing. But Lord, these victims that are crushed and that have collapsed and that have fallen under this tragedy and this evil, we pray, arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God, and do not forget these families, these helpless people. Break the arm of wicked people, God. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness, Lord. You, God, are king forever and forever. You, God, hear the desires of those who were afflicted last Sunday night. You bring encouragement. You listen to their cries. You will defend those orphans and fatherless, the widows, the oppressed. We pray, God, we beg that mere earthly mortals will never again strike such terror in this world. We pray with the psalmist, believing confidently that you hear these prayers and that you will act and respond. And we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. We're in 1 Kings. Starting out, God calls Elisha to succeed Elijah as a prophet. That's kind of confusing. Elijah comes first. Elijah. And then he appoints Elisha. So it's going to be a little confusing today. Try to hold on to that. There are two parts of this, and the first part we're going to see is in 1 Kings 19, if you want to turn your Bibles there, where Elijah first meets Elisha. And the second part is the famous spot in 2 Kings 2 where the chariots of fire come down and take Elijah into heaven right in front of Elisha. So I'm going to read those two passages, and then we'll try to learn some lessons, glean some things for our own life. Here we go, 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, just for a second, let me just say this. When he throws his cloak around him, he's saying, 
Elisha, you are next in line. Come with me, Elisha, and learn what I do. So, verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah, and he became his servant. Now, 2 Kings chapter 2 is what we're going to look at. 2 Kings 2, verse 8 through 14. Elijah and Elisha are walking along, and they stop at the Jordan River, and here's what happens. Elijah took his cloak rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elisha, or Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots, the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Amazing stuff right here in these verses. Now, it goes on, I'm not going to preach on this part, but I just want to say one thing. It goes on to say all these prophets came to Elisha, and they said, we're going to go try to see where Elijah got thrown, like by the tornado. The tornado picked him up and threw him. We're going to go find him. And Elisha says, don't go, because he went up to heaven. And they said, we're going to look anyways. And when they came back, the Bible says this. The Bible actually says these words. I'd never seen it before. Elisha said to them, I told you so. And I thought, any time in the future I want to say that to somebody, I have a proof text now. I can say that. So maybe you can look that up too. Well, let's unpack a few lessons. Let's unpack a few lessons today that are important for our lives. There's three of them. Here's the first one. Elisha is called. Elisha is called. Called from what? He's called from a life that is for himself, a selfish life. Verse 19, where we read, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. What does that mean? What is that saying? It's saying that Elijah, I'm getting it mixed up. Elisha is successful and wealthy. Successful and wealthy. He owns multiple pairs of oxen. He owns servants to drive the oxen. He owns enough land that he needs multiple pairs of oxen to go and till up the ground. And God says to Elisha, I'm calling you away from that success 
to something else. Well, what did he call him to? What is he calling Elisha to? God says to Elisha, basically, there's more to life than success and comfort and security and lots of money. He says there's more to life than that. There's nothing wrong with those things, but there's more than that to life. God has created Elisha for a purpose beyond self-advancement, financial security, and his own personal comfort. God's called him to something more than that because that stuff is just, that's the easy stuff. That's, that's the little bitty piddly stuff on the world. God's called him to great stuff. Elisha believed it so, so much. He believed he was called from that so much that he sold the farm. Well, he didn't exactly sell it. He actually burned it. He burned it and then he ate it. That's what he did. If you read the text, he burned it and he ate all the cows. It was his way of saying, no going back. No going back. I'm not going to try this for a little while and keep my options open and see if this is good or bad. No, 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 not, nothing like that. Burning the plows meant I'm going to follow you no matter what it costs, no matter how it looks, no matter how I feel on a given day or month or year, no matter what people say about me, it is unconditional. I will follow you and I'm not leaving myself any other options. And so he starts following Elijah as his servant. And here's the deal. If we add up those chapters in between and the kings that are in between and all that, do you know how long he served Elijah? It's only a couple of pages. I thought it was like a month or something. And I did the study on this. It's 18 years. He's his servant for 18 years. Wow. I mean, that is commitment. To say, I'll go be this guy's servant for 18 years. The only way you can walk away from success and money and comfort and be a servant for 18 years in training is to have a call from God. I believe this is true for all of us. God has a calling for your life. God has a purpose for you and why you're on this earth, beyond success, beyond wealth, beyond pleasure, and beyond security. Now, this is not just for ministers or pastors. We hear people say that sometimes. Oh, this person was called into the ministry. Well, that's great. That's true. I don't think anybody ought to get into ministry unless God calls them there. But it's not only for ministers. Back in chapter 19, verse 15, God tells Elijah, go anoint, go call three people, and they're not all ministers. One of them is Hazael. He's a secular king of Syria, not even part of God's people. And God says, I'm calling that king who's not even a part of my people. One of them is Jehu. He's going to be the king of Israel. He's a politician. God says, I'm calling that guy to be a politician. And the third one is Elisha. Now, what does that mean? Does God only call people to formal ministry, to be ministers, to be prophets, to be preachers? Absolutely not. God says any person, 
Anybody in this room who's hearing my voice, who comes and gives me their talents and their gifts, offers them up to God on the altar. God says, I'll use those talents and I'll use those gifts to make you an instrument of my grace and peace in this world. Your life will make a difference for eternity in this world. And so my question to you today is, do you know what your call is? Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know why you're still hanging around here? Some of you can't believe you're still here. (laughs) I'm not just talking about older people. Some of you young people, you've already used up your nine lives because you're crazy. (laughs) And some of you older people are thinking, you know, Dennis Moore was telling me the other day, he said, he said, I'm, I, what do you say, the median life expectancy is 78? Oh, 79.4. He said, I'm already living on borrowed time. Well, why is he here? Why are you here? Do you know what your purpose is? Do you know what your calling is? Some of you say, yes, I do. I believe a person in this room, and I didn't ask her permission, I'm just going to talk about her anyways, but I believe a person in this room who knows what her calling is, is Jan Enzer. I think you do, Jan. (laughs) Jan gets up every morning, and she has a reason for getting up, because God, God has called her to be a teacher. That's what God created Jan Enzer to do. And so she is Jesus Christ to about 20 or so kiddos every day throughout the school year. And some of you are just like Jan. You say, do I know what my purpose is? Yes, I know what my purpose is. Yes, I know why God created me. Yes, I know why I'm still on this earth. Absolutely. And some of you, Not so much. Some of you are saying, I need a little help. I need some direction. I need someone to tell me what is my purpose? Why am I still here? What is my calling? Well, back in chapter 19, Elisha left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. If you remember that part we just read, he says, let me go talk to my mom and dad. Let me kiss them goodbye. And then I'll come, I'll be your servant. I'll follow you. And listen to what Elijah says. What have I done to you? He sounds like a cranky old man, you know? Not like a cranky old guy to me. I don't know if he was or not, but he sounds that way. What have I done to you? That's all he says to him. Well, that wording is a little awkward. The translation from Hebrew to English probably doesn't, doesn't get across to what we understand very well. But basically, Elijah is saying, what are you asking me for? I'm not the one who called you. This is not my idea. You're talking like I'm the one who's in charge. I'm not in charge. You're not even my choice. I don't even have any idea why God chose you. I don't know whether you should be doing this or not. Go ahead. Go talk to your parents. It's fine with me. It's between, listen to me, it's between you and God. Elijah says, it's not my call. It's God's call. So if you don't know why you're here, if you don't know what you're called in to do in this life, then you need to check in with God Almighty and pray about that. And pray until you get an answer. 
Now, I think there's some things that can help a little bit. We have one tool here at our church. It's this thing right here. And Margot Mayo is our ministry leader, our deaconess, who watches over this particular ministry. And this is a deal that you can do at your own house. You can fill this out at your house, and it will tell you, according to this study right here, what is my gift that God has given me? And then you can meet with Margot, and if your gift, let's say perhaps your gift is, well, my gift is that I can work well with my hands. I'm a servant. I'm a person who works behind the scenes. That's how God created me. Then Margot can say, well, we can get you plugged in. There's places. Wyatt's going to Mexico, and he's going to build a house. And you can go and use your hands there. John Duncan needs his truck washed. No, I'm just kidding. Not really. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But Margo will help you figure out what ministry leader do I need to talk to? So let me tell you, I got about 20 of these sitting on the front pew here. And if you're just going, I have no idea what you're talking about when you say, what has God called me to? Come get one of these today. Isn't, isn't life, I mean, isn't it worth it to take an hour of your lifetime to find out a little bit about what God has called you to do and then see how you can join in his work here on this earth. Once you hear from God about your calling, then do what Elisha did. Be a faithful servant. He walks around with Elijah for 18 years, and he watches, and he listens, and he learns. And you say, well, that sounds pretty good, John. I don't know if I have 18 years, and I don't know any prophets. So who am I going to follow around? Well, why don't we start by just reading the prophets? Let's read the Word. We've got a whole Bible full of stories that we can follow around and see what did prophets do? What did people who were following God do? And follow some other people from the older generation around. Follow them around and watch what their calling has been and imitate them. Imitate the older generation as they imitate Christ. And that leads us to the second point of this lesson. First, Elisha is called. And secondly, Elijah lets go. Elijah is willing to pass the torch to the next generation. Now, no doubt God told him to do so. That's obvious in Scripture. But he could have said no. He could have said, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to keep doing it by myself. But he invites Elisha to go with him as he does ministry. He shows him how Elijah says, this is how I serve God. Come with me and watch how I serve God. So what about those of you who are in the older generation? Are you passing the torch? Are you letting go? Now, I'm not telling you to quit. I'm not telling you to quit. Please, for God's sake, for the kingdom's sake, for, for all of our sake, please don't quit. We're not asking you to quit. But are you passing the torch to the next generation? There's a couple of possible objections to doing that to having the torch in your hand and starting to give it to the next generation, I can think of at least a couple of objections. And one of those is this. Young people are not doing it right. They're not doing it the way that I do it. 
They're not doing it the way I want them to do it. I want them to do it this way, and I ain't giving them this torch because they're not doing it the way that I do it. And second, here's another objection. Well, actually, I did already quit. I laid the torch down because I'm tired, and I'm waiting around for the bus or the chariot in this particular instance to come and get me and get me out of here. Those are a couple of objections to passing the torch on. Elisha, the younger, did some of the same things that Elijah did. If we read his story, some of the exact same things. We read one of them. He hit the water, the water, just like Elijah did. But he also did some things differently, perhaps better, or certainly what was needed for his time and for his generation. I encourage you to let go of the idea that the next generation has to do it exactly the way that you've done it. I encourage you to let go of your cynicism about the next generation. I encourage you to trust that God, now that's the point, trust that God is going to call them just like He has called you. Here's a couple of suggestions, perhaps to help. And I know I'm treading on thin ice here, as a younger person than you, to be giving you suggestions. So I'm asking for some grace and peace as I make these two suggestions. Here's the first thing. If you're in the older generation and you think, I need to pass the torch on, let me encourage you, number one, stop doing things by yourself. Or stop doing things only with people of your generation. Like, oh, it's my turn to cook on Wednesday night, so I'll get everybody else that's the same age as me, and we'll all go cook together. Stop doing that. Invite the next generation and bring them with you in the ministry and in the things that you've been called to do. Some of you love to go to the hospital. God's giving you some kind of gift of mercy for people that are in the hospital. You walk in there and you love the smell of the hospital. And you just, I mean, you just love it. And you're just so glad to be there. And, and you are so happy to go pray with some people that are sick in the hospital. Don't go do that by yourself. Don't do that. Get a younger person. Use the telephone. Call them on the phone and say, hey, I'm going to come by and pick you up. We're going, it's going to be short, 15 minutes. We're going to go pray with Tamara Willis. She's in the hospital right now. You going to go build a house in Mexico? Why? You going to do that sometime? You going to build something? Some of you that are going to go? Don't go by yourself. Find someone to go with you, and preferably find someone who's younger to go with you. Put them in the truck beside you and carry them down there and work beside them. You going to teach a Bible class? I hope you are. I'm taking my turn. This is my turn right now. I just taught this morning the first through fifth graders today. And I'll be teaching them in October, November, and December. And the reason I'm doing that is, first of all, because I love our kids. But secondly, because in a family, everybody takes turns. This is just my turn. So I hope you'll take your turn. You're going to teach a Bible class? You're in an older generation? Stop doing it by yourself. Take someone else along. I found a friend to go with me who I don't think he's taught kids' classes like that before. I'm not sure if he has or not. It's been a long time, but I took him to go with me. 
find somebody to go and do these things with you. In a few weeks, I'm going to be out of town in the month of November. And I asked three high school students to stand right where I'm standing right now and preach from God's Word to our church family. And they said yes. Isn't that awesome? Three high school kids? Are you kidding me? In November, they're going to stand right here and they're going to preach from God's Word. Now, why would I do that? Why would I ask them to do that? I mean, I could have, I think we got great preachers in this church. I could have asked, and I do ask you guys to do it. I could have called Alan Stoddard from First Baptist. He's one of the best preachers in our community, and he would have come over here in a heartbeat. Why would I ask these three high school students to do this? Because I'm getting old. That's the reason. And I need to begin to pass the torch to the next generation. That's the reason I'm doing it. And let me promise you something. Those three high school students will not do it just like me. Dare I say, part of what they will do will be better than I've ever done before. It'll be different, and it'll be better, and it'll be for the next generation. The second, that's the first suggestion. Stop doing things by yourself. The second one is this. If you did already quit, if you put down the torch, if you said, I'm done, I'm tired, I'm through with that stuff, and you put the torch down, take a lesson from Elijah. What day did Elijah quit? His last day is the day he quit. He knew God had called him, and he answered that call as long as he was here on this planet. We still need you, older generation. Please do not quit. And that leads us to the last point as we wrap this up. God lifts him up. Verse 11 says, as they were walking along together, talking, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to the heaven in a whirlwind. Now, Elisha the younger is obviously pretty freaked out when this happens, and why wouldn't he be? I mean, we're talking thunder and lightning and fire, but it's not just that. It's not just that it's thunder and lightning and weather and, ooh, that's scary. It's more than that. It's not just that it's chariots of fire, that it's these these horses of fire and this chariot of fire. Elisha knows what this means. This is God's glory coming down. This is what the Old Testament calls the Shekinah glory of God. This is the justice of God. Chariots are not for Sunday afternoon rides in the park. Chariots are bringing justice and war and wrath. And Elisha understands. He understands this is God's judgment. Whenever these clouds have shown up in the past, in the history of the world, they were lethal. Listen to me, lethal. Kill people lethal. You remember the burning bush? Fire of God's glory. Moses walks up, and God says, stop right there. Take your shoes off. Don't come any closer. I wasn't going to. Yes, sir. And he takes off his shoes, and he bows. God comes down onto Mount Sinai, 
His presence, fire, lightning, thunder, clouds comes down on Mount Sinai. And what does God say? Do not touch the mountain or you will die. The justice of God. You and I know, just like Elisha, we cannot stand before the justice of God. We can't. We're not good enough. If you think you're good enough, then there's a whole other Bible lesson and a whole other series of lessons that you need to understand if you think you're good enough to stand before the justice and the wrath of God. When the justice and glory of God shows up, nobody can stand. And yet here's the amazing thing about this story. Elisha sees for the first time in history that when the glory of God comes down, it doesn't sink Elijah. It lifts Elijah up. It doesn't send him to hell. It takes him to heaven. It doesn't actually separate Elijah from God like that fire often did. It instead unites Elijah with God. Elisha can't hardly believe it. He doesn't understand it, but you and I, we do understand it. When Jesus Christ came, he said, I have a baptism of fire to undergo. What is that? It's when Jesus Christ died. When he died, there was flashes, there was thunder. What is that? It's because Jesus Christ was sunk and immersed down by the wrath of God, by the justice of God. He paid our debt. He was taken down. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us what Elisha saw with his own eyes. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I know you've heard this verse before. We've used it many times to say we should make sure and pray and ask for forgiveness. But notice something. It doesn't say if you confess your sins, he is faithful and merciful. He's faithful and sweet. He's faithful and nice. He's faithful and kind. It doesn't say that. It says this. It says he's faithful and just. When you ask for forgiveness for the sins you're going to commit today, God demonstrates his character, his character by forgiving you. And what is that character? It's his justice his holiness, and his wrath. It is the fire of God choosing to take Jesus down to hell, quite literally, so that you can be taken up to heaven. It is God's justice. He takes you to heaven. That's the rest of his character, his faithfulness, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Elisha sees all of this in these chariots of fire. God's wrath and justice linked together with God's faithfulness and love. And God lifts Elijah up. Elijah rides a chariot of fire. He breathes his last breath on this, on this earth, but it's not a valley. It's a peak because he's finally, finally, finally united with God, the one he's been serving. And the same is true for you, folks. When the chariot of death comes today, Perhaps, for some of us, could very easily happen to any one of us. We have no guarantee. When the chariot of death comes, 
All of you have trusted Christ to save you. You've trusted that Jesus satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf. You've trusted by surrendering all to him. It will not be a valley. It will be the peak of all peaks. It will be what you've been living for your entire life, and that's to see Jesus Christ face to face. So, that was a lot from Elijah and Elisha. Maybe today, you're sitting here and you think, God's tugging at my heart, and I don't know what my call is. I don't know what my purpose is, and I would like to know. But we're going to have, you could come to the front. That could be a response. Just come get one of these and take it with you. You can come and pray with one of our elders here at the front or the back. Some of you that are in the older generation, you may feel God pulling your heart to say, I need to let go I need to participate in training the next generation. I need to let God lead the young people to their generation. Because that's not easy to do. It's hard to do. And so we need to pray for each other about that. We don't need to be stubborn about it. We don't need to have hard hearts about it. We need to pray for each other about it. And there may be some of you who hear about the wrath of God And you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ today. You want the assurance that chariot is going to lift you up one day soon. And if that's the case, I encourage you to pray today a prayer of surrender from your heart to ask Christ to be your Savior. And if you've done that and you've never been baptized, then I encourage you to be immersed into Christ today. Because of Jesus and what he did at the cross, God will lift you up. The invitation is for you, you personally. Let's stand and let's sing.